I don't know if that's really possible, having fun without us. But I'm sure they'll try. You know, uh, Labor Day is always the last hurrah of the summer, right? <clears throat> so why aren't one? Okay. Uh, so we've been going through a series called uh, Journey, uh, JWJ, Journey with Jesus. And uh, in the beginning, we talked about the idea that, you know, when Jesus came in, we're, and this is when Jesus, we started with Jesus and John the Baptist, his adult life, and we're going to travel all the way to his crucifixion. But remember, early on as we began, we talked about the religious order of the day was the temple and the law of Moses. Everything was built around the temple. Every, all the act, religious activity was around the temple. And, you know, everything John the Baptist was doing was really causing a little bit of uh, uproar. And they would send out, okay, who are you? And, and all, all those kinds of things. But the law of Moses and the temple. And, you know, just uh, as you think about it, um, remember Moses the lawgiver established the first temple, which was a tabernacle in Exodus, where God existed. God met his people there in that tabernacle. And if you want to read more about it, you can. You can go to Exodus uh, and read more towards the end. In there, I think it's around 32 or so forth. And, but that's where God, it was the holies of holies, and God would visit his people there. And then as Solomon, David, King David's son, Solomon took uh, the kingdom, took over uh, David's place. He built um, a physical tabernacle, physical temple in Jerusalem. That was destroyed. So that would be known as the second temple. That was destroyed by the Babylonians, and it was rebuilt by Zerubbabel uh, and Joshua, and you can read about that in Ezra, how it was rebuilt. Now, the existing temple that we're talking about uh, th that's happening today was built by King Herod, and it was on, it was placed, uh, the other temples were, weren't quite as big, they were pretty, you know, obviously the tabernacle was pretty mobile, and uh, it traveled with the children of Israel as they moved through the ex their own journey through their exile. But this one was placed on 35 acres. It was a magnific magnificent work of art. And so all the religious activity are going on two things. The temple, law of Moses. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus comes... And it introduces something brand new to the world and for the world. <laughs> you know what? This is the wrong PowerPoint. But part of it will be good. So, <laughs> and then you're then you're on your own after that. <laughs> Go to the top, Cassie. All right, thank you. Tell me when you're there, please. All right. 
mind. Anyways, he came to establish a new covenant, a new command, and a new movement. That's what Jesus did. He came to establish those things. And when he, as he did so, he was challenging the authority of the day. And as he had challenged the authority of the day, you know, here he had, he created this, they had this religious following. And he was well known. He was very popular. And last week, we talked about, you know, when Nicodemus came and met him at night and they had this conversation. And then within that conversation, we realized that Jesus, that Jesus came to, get, to share his love. God would give his love to us and that you and I would believe and receive. We would believe and receive that love. Thank you. No, you're still there. Anyways, I'm done. Um, I apologize. So he came and he gave that to him. He offered that to us. And we're still in that place today where Jesus still has come to start something brand new. He didn't come to start, hey, you know, Old Testament 2.2 or 3.3 or take it and just continue it on. He says, no, today I am the fulfillment of that. And in the, uh, Jeremiah 31, 30, 31, Jesus is complete in that, where he says, I will make a new covenant with my people. I will establish something very brand new with my people. And so today, I want to talk about or introduce something very powerful. It's transformational. And it's about inspirational leadership. It's one of the greatest principles on the face of the earth, or as far as leadership goes. Every leader you respect lives by this principle. And the ones you don't, don't. And uh, you can't really lead without it. Not a kingdom leader, anyways. You will not be a leader worth your salt if you don't embrace this. This extraordinary leadership practice explains a lot about the leader who came and started this religious sect and then as he practiced and he led and he gave this, this example and, and took him to the crucifixion. He had no territory. He had no military. And he had no authority at that time. This is a radical departure from the ways of the kingdom of the world. This is a radical departure. So he comes... And he plays it and says, look, this is what they say, but I say to you. You've heard it said this way, but I'm explaining it to you. He came and gave the heart of God. And it was, it was something that was endearing. People were listening. And not only that, and you remember that Nicodemus said, look, we know you're from God because of the signs that you do. He was intuitive. He was insightful. We know that you're from God. And his, his fame was going out through all of Galilee. Everybody was moving towards Jesus. Matter of fact, if you remember, you remember the story of Lazarus. 
And Lazarus, uh, you know, and this is, this is uh, Mary and Martha's brother who had passed away. And they sent off to Jesus and they said, look, Lazarus is very sick. Will you come and place your hands on him and heal him? And so the disciples, they all knew they had a great relationship. They were friends. The disciples said, we need to go. No, Jesus says, no, just hang on. Hang on. In the meantime, as they were hanging on, Lazarus passes on. He's embalmed. This man is dead, dead. You know, he is in the grave. Put him away. Rolled the stone in front of it, the whole nine yards. And you know the story. The story comes and Jesus calls him forth, calls him out from there, and he resurrects him from the dead. Now we're saying, I'm saying dead, dead. This isn't just a, you know, fairy tale, a good Sunday school story. This is some. This is a reality. And we have John who is there, an eyewitness, and he writes about it. Well, let me tell you, not only was Jesus famous, well, so was Lazarus, right? So everybody wants not only to see Jesus, but they want to meet Lazarus. So you're the one, right? Can I touch you? How did it feel to be dead? I would ask that question. <laughs> What's it feel like to be dead? But this actually took place, right? Well, can you imagine what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin were thinking about when this was out? Not only, they're already upset with Jesus. They're already upset with it. Now they're upset with Lazarus. How dare you come alive? I mean, so they're both very famous. Setting the stage. They're both very, very famous. And so in John, now we, as I said, when we began, it, we're chronologically moving through all four Gospels. So in John eleven forty six, it says this, But some went to the Pharisees and told them that Jesus had done. They're talking about this is what Jesus did. This guy, the dead, dead man, is a live, live, live. And then the leading priests and the Pharisees called the high priests together. What are we going to do? They asked each other, what are we going to do? And he goes on and said, this man certainly performed many miraculous signs. And in verse 48, it goes on. If we allow him to go on and do this, now listen, if we go on and allow him, soon everyone will believe in him and the Roman, the Roman army. Now remember, you know, you think, you, you think about the news today and the violence that's taking place. It was commonplace there. And the one thing that the Pharisees did not, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin did not want to have happen is have the Romans get involved. Because then people die. When the Romans get involved, people die. So they got this... There's pressure coming on. They're afraid the Romans might get involved. And he says, then the Romans, then the Roman army will come and destroy our temple and our nation. Now, can you imagine the feeling, the fear that would come upon? So all of a sudden, as religious leaders, they're feeling this great need to protect what they believe in, and not only protect what they believe in, but protect their people. And so they're doing this with a really kind of a good heart, wouldn't you say? I mean, we've got the benefit of hindsight here, but give them a little bit of 
a little bit of grace. They understood maybe what we miss. Jesus came to replace all that was in place. Jesus came to replace all, all that was already in place. And this was really, the bottom line here is, who really had the, the authority? Was it them? Jesus was challenging his authority, authority everywhere he went. And so in verse 40, uh, 53, it says, So from the time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. And it all began right around this time with, with Lazarus. That was the tilting point for them. Up until that point, you know, they're kind of going, okay, you know, we've had people come along like this in, in the past, but this was the time. This, we cannot allow this to continue on. We can't allow this fame to continue on. We can't allow the people and, and his popularity to continue. We, if we do, the Romans might come in. And they might destroy the temple, which they did in 70 AD, and they might kill our nation. And as a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and he left for Jerusalem. And what was taking place right there is he was moving towards the Passover. He's in Bethany, moving towards the Passover. All, of these, all the nations come in to Jerusalem at that time, from all over for the Passover. It's a tremendous celebration. So Jesus takes his disciples and they begin to move, kind of like trying to, trying to stay out of the public eye, and he's moving forward. So in John 12, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus. I'm just kind of trying to show you the popularity here. The man Jesus has... The man... Speaking of Lazarus, the man Jesus who raised from the dead, then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many people, that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Began to become a part of the following of the philosophies and the teachings of Jesus. So the next day, the, the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the city. The Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Everybody. Everybody's following this guy. Now think about it. Think about the setting. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Many people knew who Lazarus was. Many people that, uh, that knew him, his family, friends, neighbors, then spoke to him after he was raised from the dead. This dead, dead, dead man became alive, alive, alive. Could you imagine how that just swept through everybody, through all the cities, everything, and, and the hope and everything that was taking place? What would you think? Now, I know, you know, with us, we'd go, no way. You know, I mean, you know, there's a shyster or whatever. We would do that kind of stuff. But what, what if, what if you personally knew somebody and you've seen a miraculous miracle take place 
How would that change your life? How would that change your life? So the stage, stage is set. Emotional, emotions are running high. Jerusalem's filled with spies looking for, you know, they're filled with spies and fans at the same time. Uh, and then as we move on to Mark, Mark 10.32, this is Jesus moving with his disciples, he's moving to Jerusalem, and we have this encounter. They were now on the way, verse, verse, uh, Mark 10, verse 32, it says, now they were on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. So here again, he's beginning to say, this is what's going to happen. We're heading for the Passover. And he goes on in verse 33, he says, listen, he said, we're going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the, to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to death and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and whip him and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. So he's, and here again, they're a little bit confused. They're, they heard this a couple of times now, but here again, they're, they're a little bit confused. They're hearing it. They understand, you know, they're beginning to get a little, a little bit saturation here, but don't know exactly what it means. And we know later that they do. But in... This movement, as a movement, then James, in verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to Jesus. They said, teacher, now listen to this. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. We want you to do something for us. James and John. What is it? What is it you request? And Jesus responded, what is it you ask? Verse 37, they said, they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on the right and the other on the left. Now, I can see me doing that. Right? You're walking with Jesus. You're going, they got this little bit of understanding that there's a kingdom coming. There's a, there's a place in heaven. Jesus says, I, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. And they're saying, well, you know, let's think about the future here. You know, just trying, you know, maybe we can get a, an advancement. You know, let's, 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 let's think this over. So they go over and talk. I mean, other gospels said it was their mother, but, you know, John is right here, and they're, they're on their way to Jerusalem, and they're hearing what Jesus had just said. And so, and so Jesus says this. But Jesus said to them, 
you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? And so they're having, that, they're having this dialogue, and then the ten others, the ten other disciples, verse 41, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were upset. They were indignant. They were upset. They're going, really? Well, let's be honest. Some of them were probably sitting there going, I can't believe they did it before I did. I mean, let's really be honest about it, right? They're going, man, I wish I would have thought of that. Right? So Jesus called them together and said in verse 42, You know that the rulers in this world lord over your people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. So Jesus is saying, look, you know what rulers do, right? You know how they flaunt their authority. You know how they command you. You know how they oppress you. You know what they do, right? And so Jesus is saying this to him, but he goes on and he says, he says this, but among you, it will be different. Listen to me, amano, amano, look at me, look at my eyes. He's saying, listen to me, this is important. You need to understand this. It will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came to, to serve. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. Right? See, Jesus was the king who came to reverse the order of things. This is important. He's a king that came to reverse the order of things. Hmm. So here they are on their way to to Jerusalem for the Passover. And the setting that we're going to move to John 13. Now the setting here in John 13, we don't understand... We don't know historically if it was after the Passover dinner or just before, but we know that what Jesus did here took place around that time. We know it took place. We just just don't know exactly what took place. And so in John 13, see that? I am so glad you found that, Cassie. See that? That's That's a bronze statue. Of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. That statue is in the foyer of the Anaheim Vineyard. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, the man who actually uh, sculptured that, I think it's there on loan. It's been on loan for over 20 years. And it's in the foyer there. And it's a powerful statement. I mean, I, I just every time I go in there, I just kind of stand in front of it and look at it. I mean, I got to be honest here. I wish it was in our foyer. This is this just really says everything, right? And so, in John thirteen, in verse twelve, it says, "Do you understand what I'm doing?" 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you do the right because you, you, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Now remember, he come in, he takes off his outer garment. He, he grabs his towel. He's washing their feet. And you know the story. And, and this, is, this is totally upside down. This is totally what uh, uh, rulers don't do. This is what servants do. This is what servants do to their masters and their masters' friends. And so Jesus washes their feet. I mean, we're talking about the guy that heals the eyes, raised Lazarus from the dead, healed people's physical elements, problems physically. And here he is, he kneels down, he washes all of you. You know the encounter with Peter. No, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, look, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. You're not with me, is what he's saying. You, you're, you're not, you don't understand how important this is. And so Peter, being the guy he is, he says, not just my feet, but let's just drench me from head to toe. Why all of me? And isn't that what Jesus does when we come into this, this, this encounter with Jesus? Isn't that what happened? He transforms us. Not just our thinking, but he transforms us head to toe. And I, I want to say this. This is very important. That people today, now if you're, just, if you're here and you're, you've been raised in church, and all through your life, all you've been told is the, the do's and the don'ts. What you can do, what you can't do. You know, Jesus said this. He says, you come to me if you're burdened. You come to me if you're troubled. And you will find rest. You will find rest. And people are still looking for the real deal. They're looking to be a part of, of people, and, I, and as, as Casey did so well this morning, there's 37,000 churches throughout the, uh, through our globe with different traditions and so forth. But there's only one, all of these things are developed through all history. All that, there's only one that we worship, right? There's only one who died on the cross and took our sins away. And through this series, I've been challenged. What are some of the things that I do have become a tradition that have no life in me? Does that make sense? What is it that I do that I used to do with great passion and now I just do? Things that I used to do passionately, but now I lost this passion and I just do it. That's a lot of times where tradition actually come into the picture, right? And I think we all might say, Ugh. but maybe you're, you're here this morning. I want, I'd say this. Let's discover Jesus again. Let's discover Jesus again. Let's discover what he's called us to. Let's be a part of his movement. Let's be a part of the things that he has said, come and follow me and do this as you do that. As I said in the past, I think Matthew 5, where he's talking about you know, morality and things, I don't think he ever stopped talking about those things. I think he was talking about those things all the time. 
So he says, I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. And I have given you example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I'm giving you an example here as a leader. If you're called to be my follower, this is how you lead. He goes on in verse 16 of chapter 13 of John. He says, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You know what? They got it. As you move on into Acts, look what the apostles and the disciples of Christ did. They served. Matter of fact, I think they had to kind of push him out of serving because they got this. Jesus came and washed their feet. And he goes on, you know, as he's basically what he's saying here guys, if you think you're something, if you really think you're something, remember this moment, right? If you really, he's talking to his disciples. If you really think you're something, remember this moment. And there's a cultural change. It takes courage. It takes courage to be a servant leader. And I, I just want to tell you, I think it's just easier telling people what to do. Right? Have you ever, um, my dad used to say this, so I'll say it. Uh, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a post-war comment, right? Do as I say, not as I do. Because his grandfather told him the same thing. I hated that statement, right? Do as I say. Not as I do. And I remember as being a young teenage man, I remember, you know what? I'm never going to use that statement. I never did. Matter of fact, coming to Christ, Lisa and I, Lisa and I would sit down and say, if we want to establish something with our kids, we're going to live by it ourselves. And we did do that. If we, didn't, if we wanted our children not to do certain things, we, didn't, we, we lived as an example. You know, and I understand the statement. The statement is, well, I'm older now, so I have the right to do it, right? Is that what they're saying? I'm older now, I have the right, but you're not older now, so you don't have the right. I still don't like the statement. Anyways. So against all odds, as Jesus models this leadership, and then Jesus heading for the cross, we're going... They're going to have the Passover dinner, and then they're going to, he's heading for the cross, and all of this is taking place. And what he's saying to them is an upside-down kingdom. Another way of saying that is you serve from the bottom up. You serve from the bottom up. And you lead by example. You're your testimony, your life lives up to your testimony. You live by example. You, 
you don't just say words, you become. And you become a living example of who Christ is. And so, one of the biggest things a leader can do when they run into situations is say this. It's a good question. It's a great open-ended question. How can I help? How can I help? How can I help you in this situation? How can I help? And now look, I don't want to let anybody, because a lot of you guys are going to sit there and go, well, you know, I'm not really a leader, you know, because we have the fivefold ministry, and we move down from there. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a leader. If you're in the kingdom, you're a leader. Now, Jesus will decide to what leadership that role But you, all of us, it isn't like, okay, let me give you Daryl's cell phone number so he can ask that question. Right? I'll give it to you because I don't mind answering the question, but I think a lot of times you're supposed to answer that question. Let me give you the number of the church so they can ask that question. Oh, you know who's over that? Call this person, and they will ask that question. That's not. No. Is Jesus saying, he's saying, saying, if you are in the upside-down kingdom, moving from the bottom up, You ask the question, because you're there. How can I help? How can I help? What can I do to help? And you might have to say, well, we need maybe find, maybe saying how can I help is actually connecting people to the right places to get the help. So sometimes saying, how can I help, is actually becoming a conduit and a bridge. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. I want to make sure that's understandable. So the takeaway this morning is learning how to say, how can I help? Understanding and growing in what we would call servant leadership. And Jesus was the model of that servant's leadership. He said, if I do this to you, then you go do that to others. And there, maybe, maybe some of the, the thinking needs to change. Because sometimes we just don't feel like we have anything to offer. You know, we, we just feel like we're, we're constantly living under a lot of pressure. Today, there's a lot of pressure in our world today. But I want to say, if you know Jesus, you have a vibrant, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you have something to offer. The greatest gift that we can, we can help anybody with is to discover Jesus. That's the greatest gift we can ever give anybody. So we're going to take our offering now. If you're a guest with us, please uh, don't feel obligated. This is just the best way we figured out how to take an offering. But if you're with us and um, you filled out uh, your Connect card, please, this is a great time to put this in. And we also have online giving. And our Let's have the worship team come forward.
So as we're worshiping, as we enter into a couple of songs here, think about this. Some of you have actually, you know, where you felt like Lord calling you to forward, calling you into different levels of activity, um, and you've resisted it because you have not wanted to be that responsible. You've resisted it because you have not wanted to be that responsible. I just, I would just suggest that as we're worshiping and maybe even through the week, that you have that, that dialogue with Jesus. Um, when Jesus calls somebody, it's because he, Jesus has placed in you the ability to achieve what he's called you to do. Let's worship. Amen. So just remain standing for a second. We'll just pray. In Acts, first part of Acts, it says, and there's times of refreshing. And that refreshing, the times of refreshing, come with just being refreshed in Christ, renewed in Him, renewed in such a way that uh, it brings hope. It also restores love. It restores kindness. It, re- it restores purpose. It breaks off those neg- neg- negative thoughts that the, the adversary is constantly flooding people with. And the airways are very helpful with that. But the Lord comes and says, look, I come to give life and to give it abundantly. And there in Acts it says, and there's time of refreshing. So Lord, as let me just pray for us. So Lord, as... As we come before you this morning, would you refresh our hearts, renew our hearts in such a way, bring us to that that place of what it means to just be a servant once again. Uh, Help us not to think of what things should be done for us, but versus those things that, Lord, that you're calling us and inviting us into to do for others. And let us do it. Let us do it, Lord, because of you. Simply because of you, O God. And we ask these things this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And all the people said together, Amen. So if you're with us this morning, and, and maybe some things were said there, just kind of stirred up in your heart, we have those that are a part of our ministry prayer team, and, and we invite you to come up and, and get prayer. Um, something very powerful takes place when, when you come and say, look, you know, I just I need prayer for this, or whatever it might be. It might be a physical, physical healing, but I need prayer for this. There's something very powerful takes place when we, we come together and person puts a hand on us and we say, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Something very powerful takes place. And so I want to invite you to just step, in, step up and get prayer for the things that might be stirring in your heart right now. But, and Jesus has a plan for whatever that is going on. Whatever it is, Jesus has a plan. Amen. Amen. Look forward to seeing you. Have a great holiday tomorrow. Be safe. You know, this is the last hurrah. Just don't hurrah too much, right? (laughs) All right. God bless you. Have a great weekend.